And as you're seated, we turn to the Lord in prayer, offering up a prayer of intercession for one another, for our own homes and lives, but also for the world around us. Let us now go before the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, as we approach you in your grace and truth, we thank you that we have a great humble access before the Son, the Son who would take upon himself our own unrighteousness and give us his righteousness. We thank you that we could be esteemed as children in your own home. And as children, O oh Lord, we come with humble petition and pleas. We, O oh Lord, begin by thinking of our own civil world around us. We pray, O oh Lord, um, for those, O oh Lord, who serve in our military. We pray, O oh Lord, for those particularly perhaps that have served in our own congregation, whether that be in the past or even presently or in the future. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who have gone into service. We pray that as they go out throughout the world, as difficult as it may be to serve in this capacity, we pray, O oh Lord, that you encourage believers to maintain the faith well. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would remind us of the great freedoms that you've given to us in our own country, things that we, O oh Lord, might take for granted often. But we pray, O oh Lord, for those Christians who fight for our freedoms. We pray that you, O oh Lord, would continue to encourage them in their service. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the relative freedoms that we experience within our own country, whether we quibble here or there with the political landscape. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the freedom that we have even to gather to worship here. And that is partial part due, O oh Lord, to the freedom secured by those who serve in the military. We pray also, O oh Lord, for the mission of the gospel throughout the world. We think of the gospel, O oh Lord, as it goes to Bangladesh. We, O oh Lord, um, promote and sustain and encourage missionaries there, some financially, but others also, O oh Lord, in prayer. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to give those who have sought such a dangerous and difficult ministry that you would encourage them, that you, O oh Lord, would send an extra portion of your spirit to them to be gracious to them, and that you even today would soften not only the laws within Bangladesh, but also the hearts found within Bangladesh that the gospel as it goes forth, many, O oh Lord, would come to know you as their Savior, that the culture of Bangladesh would be altered and changed magnificently, O oh Lord, for your honor and glory. We pray, O oh Lord, for the church there. Continue to encourage the Christians there, even the sacrifices, O oh Lord, that they make to follow Christ therein. We pray also, O oh Lord, for the lost. We may have thought of those in Bangladesh, but we also think of those in our own homes. We think of family and friends who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We know, O oh Lord, the gravity of such rejection of the gospel. And thus, we pray, O oh Lord, for those who do not know you. Give us, O oh Lord, hearts for the lost. Soften our hearts as you soften the hearts of those whom we have known. Give us passion. Give us courage. Give us empathy as we seek, O oh Lord, to courageously represent you to those who do not know you. Lord, give us mercy in this regard. Give us doorways to walk through and opportunities to share. Oh Lord, we pray for our families. We pray that you soften the hearts of those whom are most rebellious and that you use that conversion, O oh Lord, to your glory and to your uh, proclamation throughout the ends of the earth. We also pray, O oh Lord, for our own church and her ministry. We thank, O oh Lord, of our nursery ministry. We thank you, O oh Lord, for uh, the men and women that volunteer in various regards in this, in this ministry. 
We pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue, O oh Lord, to give us new covenant children, that our nursery might be full. We pray, O oh Lord, the, the difficulty of having too many kids rather than having no kids at all. And so we pray for the youngest among us. We pray that through the gospel ministry that is found even within the nursery, that they would not know a day apart from you, that all our youth, all our children would regularly throw themselves upon the Christ that saves. We pray, O oh Lord, for that great promise in Scripture as we pass the faith on that there would be a thousand generations to receive it. We also pray, O oh Lord, for help and need. We pray for our own familial needs. As the seasons change, sicknesses arise. Our, our joints aren't what they used to be. Our, our pain can often overwhelm us. We pray, O oh Lord, for mercy and grace in this department. We pray, O oh Lord, for your mercy for all, O oh Lord, who are downcast because of physical ailments. We also think, O oh Lord, of uh, Larry Rogers as he'll have a procedure later in this week. Encourage him and his wife, his family as well. We pray, O oh Lord, for a quick recovery. O oh Lord, be with Larry's spirit. Encourage him. Lift him high in your heavenly courts even as he worships you today in order to prepare him for tomorrow or even the day after as he has this procedure. Be with this family. We thank you, O oh Lord, for their ministry among us. We look forward to it even today after the worship service in Sunday school. Lord, you know all the pleas of our hearts. We offer all of them up to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, to the book of Philippians. We are finishing up today the third chapter of Philippians, and this is the end of Paul's own autobiography. Paul is known within the scripture to actually not give much detail about himself. It is perhaps his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. The, the modern preacher, the modern pastor, tends to focus solely on himself. He can be self-absorbed and talk only about himself. Well, we have the opposite problem with Paul. He rarely talks about himself, and so we rarely know about him. But in Philippians, we get the personal side of Paul. He shows us and reveals who he is. And at the end of chapter 3 then, leveraging his own story, leveraging his own ministry, he charges the Philippian church and he charges us to imitate him. He gives us a picture into his own life, not for his own hubris, but rather to say at the end of chapter 3, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is the call that Paul has for us today because there are many pressures, even within the Philippian church, to turn back to their own ways, to go back towards the worldliness that they once knew. And instead of doing that, Paul says, run alongside me, learn from me, be like me as I am like Christ. Stand then. As we read Philippians chapter 3, we'll be picking up in verse 17. Here is the word of God. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is destruction. Their God is their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. But your, our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Here ends our New Testament lesson, and this is the Word of God. You may be seated. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we might learn who we imitate or mimic. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we might learn who we imitate. I often remind myself of my own past heritage. Uh, When I was in high school, I was the guy that you'd probably want nothing to do with. You would see me in my my skinny jeans, my band t-shirts, my favorite skateboarding shoes. I was really a punk. I had long curly hair. I had gauges, as you may notice if you get a little too close to me. Uh, I, I was a rocker. And what you would note from Scott's previous life in the heavy metal skateboarding scene is that everyone around me looked like me. We all looked the same. We all wore skinny jeans, band tees, gauges. We all owned skateboards and skateboarding shoes. Many of us had long hair, but even if we didn't, we all looked the same. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw where my citizenship lied. It lied with that group that group of people. When we look in the mirror, we can see who we look like. When we look in the mirror, we can see if we're a Christian now, perhaps even the remnants of our own past. When we look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see those marks of the heavenly kingdom placed upon you by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you see a person, a man, a woman that seeks after the world around you? Who do you imitate? Who are you like? Paul encourages us in this passage to keep watch, to resist the worldliness of the world at all costs, that when we look in the mirror, we ought to see a person who resists the world, who loves the kingdom as a member of the kingdom. But what is worldliness? We probably should define it. It is that which is valued in the world, that the world itself is the one that shapes who you are, how you act, what you think. It is molded by the sinful culture around us, is being of the world, in the world. A text here, as it continues and finishes Paul's call for us to continue in the race of the Lord Jesus Christ, says continue in the race by not being like the world. Instead of being like the world, as you look to your right and your left, you see other believers, be like them. Be like them. Do not look back in seeking to be like the world behind us. As I look out in our congregation, we have quite a diverse congregation. We have young saints, older saints. We have mature saints, immature saints. We have children and adults. We have those who are brimming with spiritual maturity, but also those with immaturity, but as we look around and we look at ourselves, what we'll notice that this is a text for us. Whether you be mature or immature, it is a text that reminds us of what to strive for and how to strive for, what to avoid in this life. And so when you're tempted then to look back to your old ways, your former way of life, when you're tempted to go back as the dog goes back to his vomit, when you're tempted, we're called to resist worldliness. We're called to resist the temptation to go back to the worldliness of the world. But how do we do that? Paul gives us some great actions for how we do that in this passage. How do we resist going back to the world? 
Well, first, we have to find people like Paul. That's what we see in verse 17. You have to find people like Paul. Join in imitating me, Paul says. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul calls us to imitate him. Imitate. The Greek word here is mimetes. I only tell you that because you know what that word comes from in the English language. Mimic. Paul calls us to mimic him. To imitate him. But what does it mean to imitate? What does it mean to mimic? What does it mean to be like Paul? When I was a boy, uh, imitation could be both a positive and negative thing. Uh, maybe you understand this too. When I collected Pokemon cards, you wanted the real thing. When you saw a card on eBay that was cheaper than all the rest, but it was a great card, you bought it, you often got an imitation. And that's not what you wanted. You did not want an imitation. You wanted that foil to look perfect and pristine. You didn't want the knockoff. That's not the imitation Paul's talking about. The imitation that Paul is talking about is like imitating your hero. Many of you probably own jerseys or you, you have a favorite athlete and you buy his shoes or his memorabilia. That's the kind of imitation. You know, when, when I was in high school, you can see all the imitation around you as every student had their Jordans or something equivalent on. You knew who they were trying to imitate. They wanted to be like their heroes. That's the imitation that Paul is talking about here. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You want to be like Christ? I will show you. It will follow me as I follow Christ. And the, the Philippians knew Paul. We get just a little excerpt of reminding them of who Paul is, but the Philippians knew Paul. They saw him in the flesh. He was the one that planted their church. They knew the man. They knew the man well. But what do they mean when they call Paul to imitate? What should they imitate? Should they be superficial like my friends? Should they dress like Paul? Is that what Paul is calling to? Should you gird your loins like Paul? What does it mean to imitate? Should you become a missionary or an apostle like Paul? No, I don't think Paul is talking about that kind of imitation. Though some of that may well up within the life of the believer, I believe what Paul is talking about in the context of all of Philippians is that the believers of Philippi are to imitate Paul's attitude. That's what Paul has in mind. He, throughout this passage, is talking about joy and right attitude. And Paul is saying, imitate my attitude as I imitate Christ. Be like me. I am joyful even while I'm in prison. Even in difficulty, I learn in grace and truth. I strive forward, not melancholy, as it were. Paul wants the Philippians to imitate his attitude. Wants him to have the same outlook on life as he has on life itself. He is to encourage them to pursue a joyful life, a joyful life, a united life in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to trust, in other words, the righteousness of Christ as Paul trusts in the righteousness of Christ. They are to rely on the Holy Spirit as Paul relies on the Holy Spirit. They are to rely on the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and prayer like Paul relies on those things. One commentator says, it turns out that this is what he's saying in regards to imitating Paul. It is living out the pattern of the cross by the power of the resurrection. That is what the believer is to imitate in Paul. Living out the pattern of the cross by the power of the resurrection. This includes joy, love, compassion towards others, courage for the gospel, concern for others, gentleness, grace, peace, truth, contentment with what the Lord has given you in your lot in life. Paul's worried about their outlook. Imitate 
my outlook. You'll be a better church, a better people if you do. In Romans, we get a really good picture of what Paul means by imitate his attitude. In Romans chapter 16, he lists the commands for how he talks about the church, how he talks about believers. You may not realize this. You might think Paul can be a curmudgeon. You might think your pastors or elders are are curmudgeons, but this is what we are called to emulate. Look how Paul talks about the church in Romans 16. I commend you to you, our sister Phoebe, that you welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apellus, who is approved by Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Greet one another in a holy kiss. I, want, I read that. You need to notice, how does Paul talk about the saints of Philippi? How, how does Paul talk about them? You see a love, a, a, an immense love for the church. When I, when I read Romans after studying this passage, I, I'm reminded of how I ought to think of you. How, when I'm away, how, how, what should my, 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 my feelings, my beliefs, my understandings of Providence Presbyterian Church, how should I think of you? I should think of you like Paul thinks of you, as Paul thought of the Philippians. How should you think of one another? You should think how Paul thought of the Philippians. You see the love, the grace, the mercy. He doesn't say any negative thoughts about these people that he loves, though he may even have issues as he writes the difficult things to the Philippians. He recounts his appreciation and love for them. How true is that within the church? How do you speak of one another quite literally? Are you a grumbly people? It's easy to grumble. My family's known for grumbling. It's easy to grumble. We have something to learn from Paul here. How do we imitate Paul? We have to have this kind of attitude, a Romans 16 attitude, a love. Warriors in the faith, saints, patrons of the faith, kinsmen, workers in Christ, beloved, chosen in the Lord. These are the ways in which we ought to talk of and about one another. That's how you imitate Paul, having this sort of mentality towards one another. But maybe we don't know Paul. Paul is gracious enough in this passage in his own humility. He knows that there may be new converts in Philippi. He says, well, you may not know how to imitate me because you don't know me. So keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Paul says, well, if it's difficult to imitate me, find someone who's trying to imitate me and imitate them. Find your pastors, your elders, your parents. Imitate those whom are closest to you who are striving to be like Christ. Keep your eyes on those who are like me. A commentator said, those who pursue Christ will pro- produce those who pursue Christ. 
in your own life? Are you pursuing a life that's like Paul, that's like Christ, that encourages others to pursue a Paul, a life like Paul and like Christ? There's a lot to imitate here. How do you avoid the worldliness of the world? It is looking for good men and women to imitate, to be like. It's so easy to look at our world behind us and around us and to imitate the world. It is so easy. So many influences. But we are called in the church to imitate those who are striving after the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard in this world to be an influence. There are, maybe, maybe it's even hard in our, in our own church to find people that live like Paul. It's not because they don't exist. It's because we're so distracted by everything around us. There are various ways in the ancient world how people primarily learned as they learned through those who are around them. In our own day and age, we have been so oversaturated with books and entertainment that we learn not primarily from our parents even, but from the media that we consume. And so whether it be finding out how to replace something on your car on YouTube or or watching or reading a book on how to do something for dummies, how to be a Presbyterian for dummies, and we aren't learning from one another. We have found other outlets, other ways to learn. And, and there's nothing wrong with those. I'm glad that YouTube exists um, because I need it in order to fix my vehicles sometimes. Uh, it's a real asset, so I don't knock it. But in the ancient world, I would have gone to someone who knew, and I would have learned from them. I would have mimicked them. And so maybe the admonishment for every one of us here is to be maybe a little more aware of the, what influences us throughout our daily lives. Who are the ones that are influencing us? Are, is it media celebrities, short videos, books, public schools? What, we, have to be, we, we have to be aware, cognizant of what are our influences and what they bear in our lives. You may not realize how much what you take in influences you, but what the encouragement for us is to better tailor that in and of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to merely listen to great preachers on the interwebs, but to find within the church itself those who you can imitate. But it's also a heart check for us in this passage. How do we speak about one another, like Paul or like the world? Do we seek to cut one another down like the world around us does, or are we like Paul? When you're tempted to fall back into your own ways, resist the worldliness of the world. First, we learned that we do this by finding people like Paul. Find people like Paul. But next, we learn that we are to avoid people like the world. Find people like Paul. Avoid people like the world. Verse 18, it's heartbreaking. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are the enemies that Paul has in mind here? Well, we know that in the previous passage he was dealing with the Judaizers, those who were seeking to encourage the believers to do faith plus works. Well, Paul turns his corner here, and now he's pointing his cannon at the pagans, those who were in Philippi, the Gentiles, those who lived a lawless life, those who gratified the flesh. Paul is turning to them, and he is turning to them in an interesting way. He seems to have known them. Philippi is one of those southern small towns, as it were. Everyone knew everyone. And because of that, Paul knows that he has preached to each and every one. He knew these people. He could think of their faces. And them rejecting the gospel brought him to tears. It was hurtful, painful. We're reminded in the scripture in Thessalonians, weep with those who weep. 
And that's what Paul is doing. He's weeping for the church who had proclaimed Christ to the, to the community of Philippi and many have rejected. And what has that rejection led to? It has rejected them and causing them to be enemies of the cross of Christ. This might be people that came into the church for a time and then left and never returned or those who had heard the gospel and chose to reject it outright. It is those who have rejected the gospel of Christ. It leads Paul to tears. I would assume as Paul is re reciting this to his scribe, there, there are serious tears. He's drawing his mind upon those folks who he had preached to, who had rejected the gospel. He's not worried about his own livelihood. They're worried about their own salvation. He's worried about who they are and where they'll end up. Verse 19 gives us a clear picture of who these enemies were. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their mindset with mindset on earthly things. We learn their destiny. We start with their destiny. Those who are enemies of the cross, what is their destiny? It is destruction. Why else would Paul cry for those who had rejected Christ? It is because of their destiny. Those who rejected Christ would have the destiny that is destruction. We don't talk about hell often or often enough in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that is what leads Paul to tears. Remembering and knowing that those who have so spurned Christ will be judged eternally by Christ. Reminded, you'll have to also deal not only with food illustrations, but Pilgrim's Progress illustrations, greatest book ever written. Uh, outside the Bible, of course. Uh, and what I find so fascinating about Pilgrim is often on his pilgrimage, he looks back, looks back to the city of destruction and he could see it in the distance and he, he worries for his own soul as he looks back and the pain that it causes Pilgrim. When he is drowning in the river that passes from life to death, all that is going through his mind is I'm going to be sent back to destruction. He's worried, he has no assurance of his salvation though he is saved. He dwells upon that destruction and it, it, it is a knot in his stomach, a life-ruining experience. I don't want to go back there, anywhere but there. You remember that as Pilgrim left, he chanted life, life, eternal life, evoking uh, the words of Augustine even. He's excited to get away, but whenever he looked back, he's remembered of that former life. Where do enemies of the cross land? They land in that destruction they go back to that city. Thomas Aquinas, though I don't commend him in many regards, said this, the devil is called the God of this world, but he is not, not because he has made it, but because we serve him in it with our worldliness. That is why he is called the God of this world. And so if we are to be a people with the mindset on earthly things, we join the same result as what Aquinas says here is of the devil. And that is, his destruction. At least to your destruction. But what did they believe? What has led these rejectors of Christ to destruction? Paul also tells us their beliefs. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. You see, these are people in Philippi, as in Roman culture, they loved pleasure. 
the pleasures of life were what ran them. They loved to indulge in all that fulfilled them. If they had a desire, they sought it out and enjoyed it to its nth degree. Think of Esau eating the bloody stew. He wanted it so much, he would give away his birthright for it. These are how the Philippians were with their sensual desires. Their God was their belly. Their glory was their shame. Even in ancient uh, pagan philosophy, there was a counteraction. In order to be wise, you must learn to control your appetites. A fool was one who would be consumed by all of their desires and fulfill them to their complete completion. If you wanted to be the great philosopher king, you must learn to control your appetites. That is how you got out of the cave, as Plato would call it. You learned to control and constrain what you desired. That's what Paul, in some ways, is calling here. The, the Philippians are known for living a licentious life, a life that, that loved to consume everything around them, as much as they could. Does that sound like us? In any way, do we sound like ancient Romans who love to consume? I think we do. If any of you had or have a Netflix subscription, you do. You know how easy it is to just continue even when Netflix has said you've had too much, you continue. We are like the Philippians. But even culturally among us, as a millennial, you may have heard one of my own ilk talk about the importance of authenticity. Have you ever heard a young person talk about authenticity? I have. I have mistakenly used it. But typically, a culture of authenticity, as good as it sounds, it sounds so good, right? It'd be authentic to yourself. Also, it comes with vulgarity. Authenticity comes with vulgarity. Why? Because in order to be true to myself, I must do X, Y, and Z. To be true to myself, I must drink alcohol. I must do drugs. To be true to myself, I must be a glutton. I must consume more Netflix. That's just who I am. To be true to my inner self, I must reject my physical anatomy. It's who I am. We live in a culture of authenticity. But authenticity falls into the same error as the Philippians fell into. Vulgarity a love of the world around you to the point that it becomes your God. To consume, give me more and more of the world. And that informs their mindset. Instead of being like Paul and pursuing joy and love, they pursue selfish ambition, envy, rivalry, pride, self-centeredness. We live in a world that is so overtly individualistic. It's all about me self-centeredness, self-seeking, conflict, complaints. We live and walk by our appetites. They influence every single thing that we do. Paul is saying that we must avoid these. I had a friend, a close friend, uh, probably my best friend throughout all middle school and high school. He was a spiritual wild canon. He, he, he was good at some points in the faith, and then he'd go through seasons where you're like, this man has lost his mind. Uh, and and I, I do miss this man quite greatly. When I moved to the south, uh, we had gotten a little further from one another. I was perhaps his accountability partner. Then I had I married a woman and had kids. It's kind of hard to be someone's accountability partner when you live 700 miles away and you have a family. Um, but I, I lament where my friend had, has gone. He started dating a girl. They're not married yet. They're engaged. But uh, she has just encouraged all of his wild tendencies. He, they, he encourage, she encourages the worst of him. And it's gone to the point, and it's so sad, I empathize with Paul in regards to tears. It's gone to the point where 
I don't know if I can allow them around my own children. It's a sad reality of a life that becomes so enamored with the world it wreaks destruction. Some in our current day and age in our lives that I am worried even for his own soul. Doesn't attend church, rejects God. What happened? Well, my friend followed the way of the devil here. His God became his belly. His glory was his shame. And he has pursued a life maybe authentic to himself, but not in a life that is with God. You see, sometimes when we are authentic to ourselves, it's at odds of the God of Scripture. And it is when our authentic self is at odds with the God of Scripture, we must learn to kill and crucify that sin. We must kill it. Otherwise, we might end up like my friend. So we are to avoid worldly influences. You may say, well, does that mean I can't have any friends within that mindset, in that life? You say, Scott, avoid these people. Well, yes, in one sense, I do mean that uh, truly, but I also share with Paul the same, and maybe it's that tension with that point, that same empathy and love for those who do not know Christ. We are to share that. Uh, You see, Paul says, I weep for those. He cares about these people. He cries over the lost state of these people. I, I am sad over the state of my own friend. But even with that said, we must be on guard and careful for how we interact. Avoid the lives of people like the world. We must do all that we can. And it is so difficult because it is all around us. It's on our billboards, on our TVs, on our phones that we're glued to. It's all around us. But what we can do as a litmus test, as a reminder in this exact idea, is that as professed Christians, what do we put our values in? Where are we spending our monies? Are we looking out for our own personal needs, our own personal desires, our own personal wants? Are we putting those before the Lord himself? What are we, how are we spending our Lord's Day? How are we spending our weeks? What does our family life look like? Does it look like those who love Christ? Or are we displacing the cross in any sphere of our lives? How does your life look? Does it look different today than any other day? Or does it look different this hour than any other hour? Well, if it is, and we look in the mirror, we might think, I've not avoided well the ways of the world. We're tempted to look back at our old ways, resist worldliness by finding people like Paul, by avoiding people like the world, but finally and quickly here, reminding people of your citizenship. There is, a pan, there is an Oreo cookie here that completes the text. But your, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see in this last point, Paul contrasts the previous few verses. You see, those who have rejected Christ, their end is destruction. But for those who have imitated me, who seek Christ, who are citizens of heaven, your end is salvation. You are a new people. And because you have a new citizenship, because you have a a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are honored and privileged in that life. There was nothing more desirous in Rome than to be a citizen. And most people weren't citizens. Most people coveted the life of citizenship. The Philippians would have been revered as a people who were probably the highest per capita citizens in all the empire because of their heritage and retirement. 
be a citizen of heaven. Have that same zeal, that same love, that same prideful care for who you are as a citizen in heaven. We can be honored citizens of America, proud. I'm often, to my own chagrin, I admire Christians who, have, who, who love and have loved well America and their freedoms here. And I take it all for granted. It's because many of them have fought for that freedom. They, they love America. They, they, they remember the wars that we've had to go through. They, they, they love our country. And, and in many ways, I'm envious of that love for our country because I don't love our country like they love our country. But I am called to love the citizen, or our, our heavenly citizenship like they love our earthly in some regards. It's great that they love America. I encourage it even. But I want to have the same love that they have for America's for the kingdom of God. Why? Because what comes with this citizenship in heaven? It comes with salvation, restoration, unification, harmonization. It comes with what Paul concludes this passage in in the last verse. It comes with transformation, a new life, a glorious body without any pains. Your current life, despite appearances, as out of control as it might be, our salvation is a reminder that God will bring all things right together. I was reading this week, and I'm reminded regularly as I was reading this passage of our own frailty as humans because of sin. We live in a life where we see physical decay. We see indignity. We see weakness. We see injustice, but not so in the resurrected life. We will have all of that mended. We will be beauty in form and appearance. We will be made perfect. Each one and every one of you, as crazy as it may seem, you can, you can climb the highest mountain with ease. You don't have to worry about tiredness because the Lord will have transformed you. That's why you should be proud of the citizenship because the citizenship that you've inherited promises not destruction but everlasting true life. You're on the end. When you look in the mirror, I hope you see a citizen of heaven because as you look in the mirror, what, reveals, what is revealed by that mirror could lead and reveal your eternity before your eyes. Who are you a citizenship? Where is your citizenship found? Is it on earth? Is it in the worldliness of the world? Are you enamored by it? Where do you reside? Sometimes when I look in the mirror today, you might seem and believe it kind of odd, but I look in the mirror and I don't see gauge holes in my ears. It's kind of funny. Whenever I move or meet new people, they ask about my earlobes. It is, I, I, I pray for older saints to be blind, not because of, uh, uh, it's for my own sake, so that they don't see the holes and judge me prematurely. I I hope for it. It's so sinful, but nevertheless, I have holes in my ears. And you all noticed it probably before I ever even said it. You've looked at photos. You've perhaps seen even gauges in my ears. But I forget. And my wife forgets, I think. She doesn't see the holes too often. We've, we've moved so past that. I have moved so past that. I mean, you have a pastor that is in a suit and tie almost every day of his life. I'm a different man. And it's not because of my own own work. If, if I had any meaning of it, I'd still be in heavy metal t-shirts, skinny jeans, and skateboarding at the local park with my child there with me. That, that's, the, that's the kind of life I would have. If I could choose, if I could choose the worldliness of the world 
That is the life I would have. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he can call even a lapsed, nominal Catholic skateboarding metalhead, gauged-eared man to be a minister. The least of these, I'll tell you. The worst as it regards to gospel living. If he can call me, he can call you. If he can transform my picture in the mirror that I've looked at over the course of my life, he can transform yours as well. That is the glory of the gospel. That even a man such as the man that you've called as your minister can be transformed, and so can you. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. But maybe you've looked in the mirror and you've forgotten that you've had gauges too. Maybe you have forgotten your former way. That is such a great place to be for the church. But the great promise, even when you're tempted, is to not look back towards the worldliness of the world, not to go back into those habits, but to remember and look in the mirror of who you are and whose you are. Be like Paul. Avoid the world. Remind the world of whose you are as citizens of heaven. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to throw off the old rags in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have cloaked us in rags of righteousness. We offer all that we are, O Lord, to you then. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.